Welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy takes us through the second part of a sermon on the Holy Spirit in Acts chapters 1 and 2. Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. What exactly does that mean? Sometimes we can confuse God's will with our own. How do we solve that? We wait, pray, and listen. This will allow the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Why? So you can be empowered to be a witness in your family, your community, and across the globe. Uh, let, me, let me introduce our church in case you're new, but I say this every week because we need reminding. Amen? Uh, we believe three things in this church. We see this in Isaiah 61, which is the heartbeat of our church. Uh, it's, our, it's where we get our vision from as our church, as well as what we see all throughout Scripture. This is the movement that we see in God's story. First, there's always hope beyond our brokenness. Listen, um, if, if you were looking for a perfect church, you wrecked it the moment you walked in the door. Uh, we are a community dedicated to being honest and vulnerable about where we really are in life because there's no point in pretending. Yes? Um, so uh, we, we, don't, we try not to speak Christianese here. We try not to pretend that our lives are perfect. Um, so we do all have brokenness in our life. And at the same time, we also confess and believe and proclaim that there is hope beyond our brokenness. And God is in the business of making dead people alive. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Second, we're called not to perform for Jesus, right? Not, not to pretend for Jesus, right? But to trust. And that word trust is the same word as faith. It's a relationship word. It's a, I'm going to yield and give and put the weight of my life in Jesus's most capable hands. And he's not an idea. He's not a philosophy. He's not the vague, mysterious force of Star Wars. Jesus is our risen savior. And he's alive, present through the power of the Holy Spirit right now. Ooh, somebody say amen. Amen. Right? And lastly, we get to bring restoration right where we are. And so Breeze uh, didn't have to get a seminary degree before she raised her hand for the, for, for the change for a dollar. Breeze, it, it, the Holy Spirit said this week, Breeze, you give it to that person. And she said, yes, I'll do that. And that's what we get to do as a church. We look at the people in our lives and we say, yes, I will be an instrument of God's restoration there. God has his job and we have our job. Amen. And it's a calling each and every one of you have, no matter where you are on the faith journey, which I love. I absolutely love. So each one of these truths, that there's hope beyond our brokenness, and we get to trust in a risen Savior, and then bring restoration to our community, has a choice attached to it that you and I get to make every single day when we wake up. So can we proclaim this together? We are disciples who walk with God and... Oh, let me... Let, sorry, I messed up. Ready? We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus... I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection. Ooh, you guys are on it today. I love it. Uh, can I pray for us? Lord Jesus, protect us. We bind and mute anything opposed to Christ that's either on us in the place that we're listening online or here in the sanctuary now in the name of Jesus. 
and cast the enemy out of this place uh, where we are, our car, our home, our bedroom, and this sanctuary now in Jesus' name. We pray protection over our space, Lord. Help us to hear you and help us to make decisions for you, to yield our hearts to you, Lord Jesus, today. This is our heart's desire. So speak to us. We speak to our souls right now. Awaken all our soul. Awaken, oh, my soul. And we specifically bind and mute all distractions and all of our resistances that would prevent us from listening and actually doing something about the truth that is proclaimed to our hearts in the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So um, today's about the Holy Spirit. It's Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes down. But I wanted to explain a little bit about the Trinity just in case uh, you uh, you don't understand what that is. So we believe that God is three persons in one. Okay? Let me give you a poor analogy that would help you understand this a little bit better. Okay? Water is still water, even though it has three essences. Does that make sense? Water has the essence of ice, but it's still water. Vapor, but it's still water. Or liquid, but it's still water. Picking up what I'm putting down? The Trinity is like that, but not completely like that, because God is not water. God is a person. In fact, God is three persons, one essence. Picking up what I'm putting down? We are little trinities, right? We are one person with three essences, right? We have a body, we have a mind, and then we have a spirit. We have a body just like Jesus, a mind just like our Heavenly Father, and a spirit just like the Holy Spirit, all contained in one body. Amen? Right? So God is three persons. God, the Holy, God, our Heavenly Father, is a person. God... The Son, Jesus, is a person. God, the Holy Spirit, is a person, but they are one essence, okay? Our Father creates in love. Our Jesus saves in love. And now the Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus and sustains his new life in us in love. Now, the Holy Spirit in the Hebrew Scriptures, that's the Old Testament, is called the Spirit of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit would rest on particular people and abide within particular people for a specific time period and purpose. A prophet for his prophecy, a wayward shepherd for the exodus, a priest in prayer, a king in his battle, even a savior trusting his father. The Holy Spirit also resided within the holies of holies in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the Jews took the Holy Spirit's presence in the Holy of Holies very, very seriously. You could die in God the Holy Spirit's presence if you didn't take God the Holy Spirit seriously. When the Holy Spirit said to do something, you did it. Anybody remember what happened to John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah? Right? The angel of the Lord is standing there. The Holy Spirit is in the, is, in, is in the place. And the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, says to Zechariah, hey, you're going to have a kid. And Zechariah is like, mm, probably not. We're 80. You know? <laughs> and the God, the Holy Spirit, was like, I won't kill you, but shh, for nine months. Right? But they literally, I mean, so many priests, I don't know what they were doing in the Holy of Holies. Evidently, pastors are really good at doubting and arguing with God. And let me just say from experience, that's true, because 
But even the Holy Spirit, literally, the priests would be in the Holy of Holies, and they'd, the Holy Spirit would say something, and they were like, ah, uh, no, I'll have it my way. And then they'd die. And this happened so often that they had to put a rope around the priest's ankle to drag the corpse out of the Holy of Holies. That was the custodian's job. Um, it's a heck of a way to make a living. So what am I saying? I'm saying this, is that the Holy of Holies was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was taken very seriously by the Jewish people, okay? Even in the early church, the Holy Spirit was taken very seriously. We're going to get to that this summer in Acts, right? God's presence is powerful, real, significant. Jesus set aside his entire divinity when he entered into flesh and was born in, on this earth. And everything that Jesus did wasn't because he actually had a Superman cape underneath his shirt, okay? That's not how Jesus' incarnation worked. Jesus was a human just like you and I. The power that came out of Jesus in his life was the power of the Holy Spirit, which means that you and I, and this is in the Gospel of John, you and I will do all of the things that Jesus did and even more. And that's true. I know of missionaries right now in China who keep on calling pastors in the United States because Christians, Chinese Christians, are mysteriously dying in China. They don't know what's going on. And so the Chinese pastors and missionaries are calling the American church and they're saying, um, what, do, what do we do here? We need to like how do we raise people from the dead? Because this is just, it's, it's, it's strange. We don't know what's happening. People are just, Christians are literally just, they go to church in these small house churches that are underground and they're worshiping God and then they die. What is happening here? And so the American church had no idea what to tell um, these Chinese pastors and missionaries. But the African church did and the church in South America did. And so the the Chinese missionaries and pastors began praying the breath of life into these dead Christians, and dozens and dozens of resurrections are happening in China right now. Right now. You can all clap. Come on. Dead people are getting raised from the dead. You and I have witnessed the miracles that the Holy Spirit can do. We've prayed for people, and things happen, right? Amazing coincidences. Ten years ago, I counseled a guy who was a knucklehead, and he left his wife, and I prayed for that wife for 10 years. And this last, or two weekends ago, that wife got baptized. I had no idea that she got baptized. I didn't know the connection at all. She came to the prayer retreat. I'm looking at her yesterday. She says, oh, yeah, I work for Trader Joe's. You know, I have these two little kids. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've been praying for you for 10 years. I didn't even know that you were like I didn't make the connection. She just started weeping. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I've prayed for bo broken bones. They've been set and completely healed in an instant. Not me. That's the Holy Spirit. We've prayed for people and have had open wounds completely close and heal. Of course God would do this in a Presbyterian church, <laughs> right? No one would ever think that this would happen at all right? Maybe it's in the Nazarene people, right? But, you know, or Grace Bible, I don't know. They got lots of money. But here, I mean, give me a break. Have you seen our campus? This is impossible. But this is what God does. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is alive and active and working in us. Amen? Yes, amen. amen? amen. 
Joe's uh, nephew, Caleb, not even a year old, um, born with only one chamber in his heart, given a day to live, and then a surgery, and then given an, another three days to live, and then another surgery, and then given another day to live, and another surgery, and probably mm, a couple weeks to live. And we're like, what's going on, Joe? And Joe says, well, we need to pray for Caleb. And we're like, okay, well, what does Caleb need? He needs another chamber in his heart. Okay. So we start praying for that, fully expecting that Caleb is going to go to heaven and we're going to have to be with Joe's sister and mourn them and help them and in their grief. Caleb went and got an MRI list last week at UCLA. Guess what's happening? Another chamber is growing in his heart. Joe found that out the other week. He's all sobbing, crying. Yeah. Amen. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is active and working. What Jesus did on this earth is through the Holy Spirit, and you and I have the same Holy Spirit if you want him. So the stakes are high, brothers and sisters, really high. You and I can take the Holy Spirit seriously and be filled with the Holy Spirit and operate in the Holy Spirit's power and presence, which means that you will need to yield to God and surrender. Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, oh, Andy's will be done and Andy's kingdom come <laughs> on earth. Of course, as it is in heaven. Duh. I mean, I'm going to run heaven when I'm there, right? No. Who's in charge of heaven again? Yeah, Jesus. And so he says, my kingdom come and my will be done. Let me, let me speak a truth to you, but also not burden you with a lie, okay? There is no plan B for how God's kingdom operates. Plan A is the church. Does that make sense? Now, let me not burden you with a lie. God is responsible 100% for all the saving and all the redeeming and all the transformation. Somebody say amen. Amen. You and I are also responsible for our 100%. It's different than God's. So none of this garbage that like the blood of somebody is on your head or they won't get saved unless you do something, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. You have important work to do. And your generosity and your prayers and your love and your care and your connection with another person makes a difference. You know why that lady Kelly came to the prayer retreat and got baptized? Is because Kilo, who plays the electric guitar, loved her and reached out to her as a co-worker. Somebody say amen. amen. You know why Amanda, who's singing here with her family, is here? It's because she talked to Kilo at Trader Joe's. Okay? And they had this wonderful conversation, and Kilo was helping little Key and their little boy with, oh, here's an avocado, and was being so nice, and he had a cross on, and he was just being kind and generous and loving, right? And then the, uh, Amanda and Michael showed up here, and they're like, oh, there's Kilo, we're here. Okay, y'all? We got work to do. Do not discount yourself. Do not put yourself on the sideline. You have a choice to make. So let's not pretend that we can just ignore the stakes 
and say that our complacency or our entitlement to my will and my way is okay. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Let's pray. Lord, help. Amen. You, you ready? You ready? Somebody say amen. Are you ready? Here we go. Acts chapter one. Here we go. In my former best-selling book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, this is Luke, by the way, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Next slide. After his suffering, he presented himself to them. So after his crucifixion, resurrection, he presented himself to the disciples and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Read this last sentence with me. Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days. So when Jesus was resurrected, he didn't be like, hey, everybody. And Thomas is like, let me touch your side. And then Jesus was like, in heaven, right? That's not how it worked. He was with them for 40 days. 40 days. 40 days. It's the time of preparation in the Bible. 40 days about teaching and talking and preparing the friends. And Jesus got work to do. All the disciples just like, they, spat, they, they scattered after the, the crucifixion. They're like, um, I, I, I thought we were going to do the whole kingdom of God thing, but I, didn't, I don't want to go on the cross as well, so I'm out, right? And so Jesus has got work. He's got to go to Galilee and to all these different places to be like, hey, come back to Jerusalem, come back to Jerusalem, which he does, right? Now, let's read where we picked up, left off last week. Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he's not a ghost, he's a human. He has tacos just like everybody else. He gave them this command. Read with me. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus will ascend to heaven on the 40th day, and the disciples will for, are going to wait around for the Holy Spirit. Now, the disciples have the same understanding of the Holy Spirit that every, every Jew had in that day, which is the Holy Spirit's probably going to rest on them for a period of time. And of course, all the guys were like, well, he's going to rest on me. I mean, you, Thomas, no, you're doubting Peter, you're a hot mess, right? New guy, Matthias, probably not. Right? But me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got it. Philip, you're from Nazareth. Whatever. Right? Or, you know, but me, right? God's going to rest on me for a specific time, specific purpose. The ladies? No, 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 no. Me. Right? Verse 6. Then they gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time, when the Holy Spirit comes, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus, being fully God, filled with all the power of God's glory as God the Son in his resurrected body, had just told the disciples what to do. If God, in all of his glory, showed up to you and told you what to do, what would you do? I love this. Jesus says, here's my will... Wait, pray, wait for the Holy Spirit. And what do the disciples say? Oh, that's nice, Jesus. Um, are you going to do what I want you to do now? Are you going to restore the kingdom? Meaning, are you going to kick the Romans out and install my administration with me as a secretary of state? Yes, yes, yes. I love how Jesus responds. He says to them, this is in the Greek, he goes like this. 
It's not, it's not in the Greek at all. Uh, he says to them, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me translate that into something that you understand. Verse 7, basically Jesus is saying, nah. <laughs> Disciples are like, are you going to do what we want you to do? And Jesus is like, no. No, no, I'm not, right? Jesus says this, it's not for you to know the time, that's chronos, like a chronograph, that's called a watch, right? Or the dates, that's the word kairos, the father of set. So Jesus is saying, it's not for you to know the literal timing. So we ask God timing all the time. Jesus, when are you gonna do this? Can you save me now? I need a parking spot right now, right? I want you to do this for me right now. And what does Jesus say? No. You're not entitled to know the exact time that things are going to happen. If God reveals that to you, that's his prerogative, but you are not entitled to that. Why? Because you probably mess it all up. That's why. We're the best at sabotaging, receiving really good gifts from Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. I know you think this about the person sitting next to you. They also think that about you, right? But here's the other word. It's not for you to know the timing or the kairos. Kairos is the Greek word. It's a climactic events that will happen within a particular season. So Jesus is saying, it's not for you to know the literal time of when things are going to happen, or is this the season in which this thing will happen? Does that make sense? We pray this way all the time. God, I want you to heal her now. God, I want my way, that's kairos, chronos, now. And what does Jesus say? Nah. No. You don't get to know. You don't get to know. Why? Because you're not the boss. You're not God. You don't get to boss your heavenly father around when it comes to how things are going to happen or when things are going to happen. I, I don't like that answer. Do you like that answer? No. Here's the reason why God does, I think one of the reasons why God doesn't do that. Number one, um, we have no idea that yielded to the Holy Spirit where God is going to take us. And I think sometimes we would freak out and say, I don't want to do that. That sounds too impossible. But we have no idea subjectively what it would be if we were actually filled with the Holy Spirit doing incredible, spectacular things. And if our life looked different than what we thought it should in our brain. Because I know what I, quote, want my life to look like if I'm just being selfish and entitled. You know what I want my life to look like? Filled with the Holy Spirit, I get to do whatever I want. I'm fabulously wealthy. I never have to work a day in my life. You all love me, right? And um, I, I preach for free because I'm a billionaire. And, um, you know, I, but I do it from like a beach on the Seychelles in the middle of the Indian Ocean, you know? Like, that's not God's plan. Cindy Kane never thought that she'd be a policewoman in Chicago. She grew up in the... In the in the, in the system in Chicago as a little kid. She was a she, foster care and orphanages 
and um, and she would she would see these girls in the group home that she, in the orphanage or the group home that she was in when she was 12, 13 years old, and these girls would say, I'm out of here. I don't want to be in the system anymore. They'd leave. They'd go on the streets of Chicago. They'd come back a year and a half later, and they'd been wrecked. They'd been wrecked by drugs. They'd been wrecked by prostitution. They'd been wrecked by abuse, and it was absolutely awful. And so Cindy Kane said to herself, I got to get out of here. And so she was the first person in her family to ever go to college. She got out of the system, and she said, you know what? I'm all the way done. And then she said, okay, God said, I I want you to be a cop. And Cindy was like, fine. And then God led her back to the very place that she escaped so that she could help others escape. Cindy Kane had no idea that yielded to God, she would become an undercover detective in the vice unit, and she would literally dress up like a prostitute and work the same streets where she once walked in order to rescue girls out of that same fate that she was in. That was not Cindy's plan for her life. You know what Cindy's name is before she became a cop? Sister Mary Catholic, or Mary, Sister Mary Catherine of a Roman Catholic nunnery. Her solution to escape her life was to become a nun. She said, that'd be the safest place for me. And God said, no. I want you to dress up like a prostitute and walk the streets and rescue girls from the places I rescued you from. This is what happens when we say, God, I'm going to give up knowing what you're going to do, Kairos, and when you're going to do it, and I'm going to yield myself to you to be your witness to declare your goodness and your glory, not my own. Look at verse eight. Jesus says, read this with me, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Huh. Jesus says, you're gonna receive power. And we're like, oh, good, yes, I need that, right? Boil water instantly. Yes, sweet, right? Never have to go to the doctor again, right? No more pills. No. What's the power for? To be my witness. A witness tells another person's story. In the courtroom, if you're a witness, you simply speak on the stand, right? And you tell what another person did. That's what a witness. You and I are witnesses to Jesus and his goodness. That's all we're called to do, witness to his to to his goodness. And what happens in a courtroom? The opposing attorney will try, and, will try and discredit you as a witness. They'll say, oh, well, you know what? You've lied before, or uh, you got problems with your testimony, or there's something off with what you're saying here. They're going to try and discredit us. Your witness is more than just telling your story. Your witness is living a life of congruence and truth so that what you do and what you say is aligned with who God is and the truth, and therefore people will believe you. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus is saying, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell my story and then live my story, not life my story. That's my my issue. Live my story. (laughs) What I said, you will say. What I did, you will do. Does that make sense? 
And the disciples like, okay, where are we going to do this? And Jesus is like, not where you live. And they're like, what? He's like, yeah, I want you to stay in Southern California. And they're like, I just left here. I retired to the Central Coast. You want me to stay here in LA with the traffic? And Jesus is like, yeah, Judea, mm-hmm. do it. He's like, but in LA, can I go to like, like the valley or like, I'll even go to Riverside. And Jesus is like, no, downtown, LA, Jerusalem. And the disciples are like, ah. And then Jesus says something even worse. He says, then I want you to go to Utah. Talk to the Samaritans, right? And the disciples are like, excuse? Excuse me? What? But all them Mormarians, are, they're not saved. And Jesus is like, yep, I love them too. The disciples are like, I don't know if I like this whole witness thing, right? So the guy disciples, I'm sure it was the guys because the woman disciples are probably, are like, no, no, he said, like, stay here and pray. And the guys are like, uh, well, all right, fine. And, and the, the girls are like, no, 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 stay here and pray. So what they do is they pick a new disciple. That's Matthias. He's a replacement with Judas. If you want to read Acts chapter, one, the gore, Acts chapter 1, the gory details of how Judas dies, do that. After 10 days of them praying together, waiting together, men, women, right, the 11 plus Matthias, so the new 12, plus all the ladies and friends around them, they're praying, praying, praying. Then on the day of Pentecost, this happens, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, read with me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. A sound is like a freight train running through the house. Why do we know this? Because literally, in the next verses, everyone in the city comes to where the disciples are. This is a beautiful irony. The disciples are like, let's hide. We have this secret clubhouse where no one can find us because Jerusalem is this dangerous place, right? So we'll go to the upper room where we had the Last Supper. No one knows that we're there. We got our secret clubhouse. We're going to pray. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up. And it was like the bat signal was coming from the roof of the upper room. And the whole city's like, what's going on? What are you doing? What's going on? What's happening here? Thousands of people are descending onto their secret clubhouse. Why? Because they're going to be witnesses in all of Jerusalem and Judea and then to Utah. (laughs) Make sense? I love this. The Holy Spirit arrives, which is even more amazing. Why? Because some disciples were like, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit's going to come on me. I mean, not her and not him. But the Holy Spirit fills every single person. All them junior high dropouts, even the zealous political ones, the men, the women, the people who got their life together, the people who don't. Every single person in that room is filled with the Holy Spirit, just like you. And now the disciples can't hide anymore. And Jesus' command is about to come true. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The fire that rested on the, on the disciples is within you right now. I have friends that can see spiritual stuff, and when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like they're radiating heat and light. Sometimes when Zed will play guitar, they'll say, oh, look, his hand looks like he's on fire. I've literally walked up to people and talked to them, and they've said to me, why is light coming out of your eyes? 
As Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is like light or fire that radiates out of us. Somebody say amen. Amen. I like that. The Holy Spirit literally brings the power of God in your, bo- in your very body. What happens, very, the very first thing, what happens? Everyone started speaking in a different language as the Holy Spirit enabled them. What languages? If you keep on reading, you'd read all the, all the language of the Jews who were visiting Jerusalem. North African Jews, Persian Jews, Arabian Jews, Turkish Jews, um, Italians, French Everybody, all of the Mediterranean world is there because all the Jews are there for that high holiday, Pentecost, right? And all of the Jews who are from these different countries speaking these different languages are going, oh my gosh, verse six, at this sound, that's the freight train, wind, Holy Spirit coming, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Uneducated hicks? That's what Galilean means. Right? Verse 8. And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Verse 11. Read this with me. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Uh, April and I have got to live in Dublin our second year of marriage. And we found a church near Trinity College. I got to go to Trinity College where the Book of Kells is and study philosophy. It was a great year. And uh, we were there for a couple weeks and we thought, you know, we need to go to church. We tried out the um, Catholic churches and it was like, oh boy. Um, When you show up in Ireland, they allegedly are speaking English, you know, but you can't understand a word they're saying, right? And so we're like, okay, a couple weeks. We finally got kind of acclimated to Ireland, time change, all that kind of stuff. And so... We, we had looked up, uh, you know, like where maybe like a Protestant church was meeting, and we found one, and it was by the college. And Sunday morning, everything is closed in, our, in Dublin. I mean, I mean, everything is closed until about 1 o'clock because of the night before, right? And so on Sunday morning, we're walking, and we're kind of weaving through the disaster zone of Saturday nights in downtown Dublin. And there we showed up to this really cool old building, and there was this Pentecostal church that was meeting in that building, and it was amazing. The, the music was spectacular, and I loved, you know, they'd give the announcements, you know, you know, hey, welcome to church. We're so glad you're here. Let's pray for God, the Holy Spirit, to rest on you. I mean, like, I would pray for my knees, and my knees would get better, and the worship was lit. It was amazing. And then the pastor gets up, and he says, hey, welcome, y'all, church. We're so glad you're here. My name's Larry. He was from literally Oklahoma, and I was just like, What? Right? I mean, like, that's like, you know, we went from, you know, the potluck will begin at 3.30 in the afternoon, you know, to, hey, let's be filled with the Spirit, you know, it was just like, ugh, whoa. So he would preach, and it was fine, it was great, but then at the end, because it was a Pentecostal church, he would always say, hey, let's have a time of ministry, and the worship band would be there, and they'd be playing, and then people would be praying, and stuff would happen, and always, 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 there'd be a lady that would get up, and first she would speak, she'd say, I have a prophecy from the Lord, and she'd speak in tongues, she'd speak in a different language, and nobody there would interpret, and being 22 years old and a smart aleck, I went to the pastor after this happened for 16 weeks in a row, and I said to the pastor, look, here's scripture, it says that... You know, like you're supposed to, if someone speaks in tongues, there needs to be an interpreter. Why did I know this? Because my mom is, has the gift of interpretation. When the Holy Spirit 
when somebody speaks in the spirit, she can hear what they're saying. And my aunt speaks in, a, in, uh, speaks in tongues all the time when she's worshiping. My mom's like, okay, Courtney's confessing her deepest sins and like I can hear every word. And so like it, my mom just like has to like move over, you know, but like, <laughs> like, but if you were to speak out loud in tongues, it would be English to my mom's ears, right? And so I'm telling the pastor this and I'm like, hey, by the way, and the pastor's like, well, that's nice, young whippersnapper, but you just go back home and it'll all work out and this is what we kind of do here, right? And so 16 weeks turned into like 26 weeks, which turned into like 30 weeks. And it was just like, it was the one thing in church that I couldn't stand, right? And after a while, like I love languages. And so I would kind of get used to the phonetics and it'd be the exact same cadence, the exact same words in the exact same order week after week after week. And after a while, I'd just be kind of like, okay, here she goes again. It's hit time, you know, da, da, da. It was just like, we just wait for it to be done. And then, you know, cause we didn't want to be rude and, and so then summertime comes around, and it's June, and, and she's about to get up and do her thing again. And I feel bad because there's this Japanese mom and her son sitting there, and they're brand new. And I know why they're there, because they thought that they were going to be looking at things in Dublin, but there's literally nothing open except our church, <laughs> right? And so they wandered in, and they're just sitting there. And I know they have no idea what's going on, but I was just like well, she kind of does this every week. Sorry about that. You know, and they had very, very limited English and, and she looked kind of confused and the kid was just bored, right? You know, just absolutely bored, like ready, like in Japanese, can we go home please, right? And all of a sudden this lady gets up, stands up and, and, and starts talking and does her little prophecy thing or speaking in tongues thing. And all of a sudden the mom and the son immediately start looking at her and they were just like floored and glued. And then all of a sudden they just both start weeping and the power of God descended upon that place. And this Japanese mom and her Japanese son fell on their knees and accepted Jesus right then and there. And we're like, what is going on? And then they spoke. She spoke in her broken English. This lady is declaring, uh, she's talking about Jesus in Japanese. For 30 some odd weeks, this lady spoke in tongues and she was preaching the gospel in Japanese, waiting for that Japanese couple that mom and her son to come and hear the good news to declare the glories of God. Wait, go back one slide. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And that's what happened. Next week, we'll go to church. The lady stands up again, the exact same tongues prophecy. I'm like, there's no Japanese people here. Sit down. Just wait till the next couple comes, right? Enough of this. Not my will. Dang it. Why does the Holy, why does the Holy Spirit give us, the gift, give us the gift of tongues? He doesn't give it to everyone. But why do some have it? So they can declare the glory of Jesus to be his witnesses. For those who need to hear about the mighty works of God so that they can be saved. And they, tongues is also a prayer language that is given for you to say that which you cannot say right now. When my mom was going through her divorce, she was given the gift of tongues so that she could say and pray through that which she couldn't yet face. 10 years later, she was able to face what it is that she was praying. I have the gift of tongues. I can speak to all of you who speak different languages because some of you are A types and some of you are B types and some of you are older and some of you are younger and some of you are liberal and some of you are conservative and somehow I'm able to speak to you a language that you hear. It is the gift of tongues. 
The sermon that I write is never the sermon that I preach. Seriously, ask these people trying to follow me on the slides back in the tech booth. I love you, right? And some of us freak out when we hear about tongues because in some traditions, say everyone who is saved has to speak in tongues. So church, some churches have this weird pressure, you have to speak in tongues. And other churches freak out about this and say, hey, we're not going to have any of that razzle-dazzle around here. You need to get out of here with that crazy talk. And on the prayer and worship nights, some people speak and pray and worship in their spiritual language. It's not an act. It's not a performance. It's this moment of praise for them, and that's awesome. And some of you, like, absolutely freak out about it. I love Doug, uh, Doug and Rose Davis. I don't know if Doug's here or not. Um, But my friend Doug said that when he and Rose were running a restaurant in Los Angeles, Pat Boone, you know who Pat Boone is? He was the Beyonce of the 1950s. There's Pat Boone right there, Okay. Pat Boone is a TV star and number one like artist, and he and Elvis were like at the charts one and two for years and years, right? There it is, Justin Bieber, okay? <laughs> That's what he's going to look like in 40 years, right? So Pat Boone, his daughter, that's Debbie, his daughter, comes in to, D- uh, to Doug and Rose Restaurant in LA, and they get talking, and they're like filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's the 70s, so like, it's like revivals happening, and Debbie Boone says to Doug, Um, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'll teach you how to speak in tongues right now. And Doug says, and I quote, he says to me, he he tells the story like this. He says, "Uh, Debbie Boone came into our restaurant and she said, do you want to um, be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues? And I said to her, right then and there, get the hell out. (laughs) I love Doug. I love Doug. (laughs) For the people who heard all of this on the day of Pentecost 2,000 plus years ago, most of them were astounded. Some of them were like the Japanese mom and the son, just weeping, crying, giving their lives to Jesus for the first time. Some of them were like Doug, get the hell out. (laughs) They were confused. They thought these people were drunk. That's what they thought. Then in Acts Chapter 2, verse 14, Peter gets up to preach. Peter, the junior high dropout. Peter, the fisherman. Peter, the very much non-theologian. Peter, the guy who failed nearly every test. He walked on water, then he sank, right? (laughs) He declares Jesus to be the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Christ, and Jesus is like, right answer, not your idea, right? That guy, Peter, preaches the most incredible sermon, tying the Hebrew scriptures and their prophecies from Isaiah and Joel and Psalms and declares to thousands of people standing there who Jesus is and what he's done in his crucifixion and resurrection. And then Peter, who's ran from every fight in his life, has a mic drop moment. He says this. Read this with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. And let's get Debbie Boone. Oh, there it is. Yeah. (laughs) Read this with me. Declare this with me. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. That's Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. God has made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, here's the mic drop moment, this Jesus whom you crucified. Oh, snap. The crowd is stunned. The Holy Spirit has just convicted 3,000 plus people in one sermon of the profound hard news of the gospel and the profound good news of the gospel. The hard news is that you and I are more broken than we want to admit. This is when you elbow the person sitting next to you saying, this applies to you. 
you're more broken than you want to admit. And here's the good news of the gospel. Well, let me go talk about the hard news just a little bit more. I am, I am, Andy Rock is responsible for my sin. And Jesus paid the price for my sin and it cost him his life. It's my sin that held him there until, the, until he died. And here's the good news of the gospel. I am more loved than I could ever dare to hope. Amen. Jesus willingly died for me, a fool and a rebel. In his unjust crucifixion, Jesus paid the price of my foolishness and rebellion and has now washed me and forgiven me completely and filled with the Holy Spirit, I have a brand new life within my heart. So the crowd responds. Verse 37, read this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Pause, wait, hold on. Because we just read that the disciples, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, God in the flesh can walk through walls, right? Crazy power says, this is my will. And the first thing that the disciples say is, yeah, but how about my will? Right? Peter could have said to all of these people, when they said, what shall we do? Peter had a choice. Do I tell them what Jesus' will is for their lives? Or do I tell them what my will is for them? Take up arms. Give me money. Peter could have responded any way that he wanted. He had 3,000 people right in the palm of his hands. Let's read together what the Holy Spirit tells Peter to say, because in that moment, Peter is obedient. And Peter said to them, read it with me, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've just heard the gospel. This is God's will for you right now. Repent. Confess your brokenness and deep and profound need for God. Admit that you are beyond loved by the God and Savior of the universe. And be cleansed, be baptized. Yield. 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 Be all in. Stop holding back. Stop trying to fix that part of your heart by yourself. Yield. Be all in. What are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? Tim's going to go to Tatalock. If you're at home, you going to turn on Netflix? You going to play on your phone? Honestly? Like, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do? Listen, you know your prayers work. Right, will you pray? You know that your love will make a difference in somebody's life. It will literally open the door for them to hear and experience the love of God. Are you going to do that for them? Will you be generous to them? You know that your forgiveness matters. Your unforgiveness is poison in your heart. What are you going to do? You know that your addiction and your running and your, and, and your pursuit of that thing which is killing you, it's killing you. What are you going to do? You know that your entire life literally has been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. 
what are you going to do? You, you can walk out of here hoping that the Holy Spirit will do your will again and then be disappointed and angry that you're not God. That's option A. Option B is this, or you can fall on your knees and let Jesus save you and yield your life to the Holy Spirit, His presence and His will. Repent and be filled and surrender. Can we do that? Can we do that? Will you pray with me? Will you get on your knees with me? Will you pray with me? If you can't because your knees are bad, that's okay. I trust you. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. Fill our hearts. We give our hearts to you. We yield to you. We say yes to you. Forgive us. Cleanse us. We repent of our unbelief. We repent of our entitlement and our pride. We repent of our rebellion and our foolishness. Holy Spirit, fill us now. Cleanse us, renew us. Do you guys agree? And all God's people said, now church, arise. You have beautiful work to do. You have love to give. You have hope to give. You have the Holy Spirit filling you to be a blessing to all of those who are around you. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you his peace and his countenance, his love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said? Amen. God bless you guys. I love you guys. If you want prayer, come on forward. Other than that, remember everything you eat outside is calorie free. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.